0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB. We talked to former US national team defender, Fox host, and the man behind the State of the Union podcast, Alexi Lavas. Always great to get up uh, to get caught up with Lexi. So the leagues are poised to start up again uh, after a seemingly very short break. We'll get to all the news uh, as we cover that. But first of all, guys, before we do that, what are we over to Dan, over the ball? Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm over these
2: New Jersey rollouts that, you know, start up about this time, and um, You know, I was watching Nations League this past week and watching Italy, and they were irrecognizable in these jerseys that were basically black and white. It could have been England. It could have been Germany. It could have been Austria. Uh, And now we're starting to get, you know, the third-color kits coming out. I think Man City have some pink flower jersey that's a, you know... (laughs) Some <laughs> memento to Oasis or something. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. basically, these people take this stuff so seriously that they find some little thing that you don't know about, you know, from the 60s, just so they can make a jersey any color they want. Um, I'm just gonna, I am just i want to know who I'm watching when I turn on the TV, and I don't wanna have to say, and then have some backstory about some jersey. Uh, so I, I'm just sick of it. It's just too much. Well, wait a minute.
1: I think this falls right into uh, Grail's wheelhouse because that's marketing, and that's they're they're yeah. trying to sell jerseys. So they want you want to buy sure, you know, I'm a not... jersey with the the seven different types of. Well, jersey. blame
3: and blame the Chicago Bulls because they were the ones that started the extra jersey back in the day, and mm-hmm. that it was a I think it was a Nike related. Deal and it just spawned all of these extra because it's all about merchandise. But I'm not I'm not
2: necessarily against making a new jersey every year, yeah. even a third jersey. I just like it to be something that's recognizable. I mean, right? Italy rolled out a third jersey last year that was green, which they don't really wear. But okay, there's green on the Italian flag. I can live with that, right? The,
1: I- yeah, the I Irish, the Irish were pissed. Sam, I <laughs> yeah, think that Sam, true.
3: I think the default in all sports uh, for extra jerseys is black. Yeah. I really do. It's like when in doubt, black. And you're, you're right. It's like you can't distinguish anybody from anybody else because they're all wearing black as their third or fourth jersey.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. So, so jerseys. All right. So, well, that got you ticked off today. Right, well,
3: what else? Yeah, great. Grant, what do you have? What you I'm doing? actually going to do a slight pivot. I'm not going to be over anything today. I'm going to go back to that next podcast. Um, I'm going to actually focus on like what I'm looking forward to. How's that? Optimistic. No, okay. uh, okay. so, no, just the, you know, upcoming season, obviously coming out of a very weird disjointed post COVID season, you know, what is it going to be like? Is it, what's this normal going to be like? Because we don't know this will not be back to normal. Cause we'll never be back to normal. So is this kind of like between normal and what will that look like in terms of the season? And then, uh, and then obviously, you know, in terms of the EPL, um, You know, Liverpool recreating that run, I just don't think is possible. And I just think Man City has such a point to prove. I think they are going to come out and just stomp all over teams this year.
1: Well, that's basically what I was going to talk about as well. I'm looking forward to uh, you know the EPL starting up again. I'm really bummed Messi didn't play for Man City. I would have loved to have seen him play every every Saturday, Sunday morning. You know, uh, Barcelona seems like a little harder to get uh, on the television wise, and um, so what I'm looking forward to is as much as I enjoyed Liverpool's run last year and loved the way they played and how they put away opponents, uh, I think this year, man, people are geared up. Like you said, Man City is going to be tough. They, they are the favorite. Um, but Arsenal has gotten better. Uh, Manchester United has gotten better and, and signed Chelsea. some players. Everton has gotten better. Uh, and, who, and Chelsea, your boys at Chelsea. Like Lampard's done a great job bringing in some young people. They want to play for Frank Lampard. So that's a big part of the draw for people is, you know, these players. So anyway, I'm excited about a really uh, great EPL season where it comes down to the wire like it has on a lot. Of, you know, soccer is not one of those games where you can dominate everybody like that. But I get, you know, well, maybe that's not true because Liverpool did. Um, they had a tough time recreating it after the, uh, the COVID break. But, uh, you know, usually a great team loses some games. You lose a handful of games through uh, cool. injury.
3: Well, and so. plus plenty, we got over the hurdle of no fans. And, you know, even mm-hmm. though none of us like it as much as the way it used to be, I feel like psychologically we've gotten beyond that. And now we can just watch the games and still, you know, hope that we'll get back to that situation at some point. But uh, I think just getting through that in the last couple months and having a winner crowned yeah. was just an accomplishment.
1: Well, it was, uh, you know, we talked about it last week, um, even with Jeff Vegas about how, you know, soccer didn't really get any credit and it's interesting because NFL starts this weekend and there's going to be players kneeling. And I have heard a lot of people, a lot of traffic that I've got on, on Twitter and on Facebook is, are saying, I'm not watching NFL football anymore. Cause it, it's like, okay, I Fine. don't watch NFL football. I'm not going to, you know, like the players in Dallas when they got booed, you know, I think they were just the first ones out of the gate. We've said it two weeks in a row, but, um, that's basically what happened. And now, but they're going to
3: be kneeling in all sports, flinny So I guess exactly. That, so, so guys you, like that, will be watching those sports, I guess.
1: Exactly. It just reminds me, like I said, of, of no non-smoking. Well, I'm not going to that restaurant anymore. It's like, well, guess what? You can't go to a restaurant then. So, um, <laughs> but so let's get on to the messy watch because I was really excited about that. I was really, you know, I love when a player um, sort of leaves and uh, sort of challenges themselves and gets outside the their comfort zone and, I would have loved to have seen Messi, who would think the greatest player of all time. Uh, I think he would have uh, would have been a great addition to watch, especially with, you know, hooking up with Kuniguro and, and De Bruyne. I mean, that would have been – they're already the top team, but I, I would say that would put it pretty much out. Uh, you know, for years now, a couple of years, I've been watching Messi play. He's kept that team afloat, Barcelona. Because oh, my God, yeah. They've, they've had wheels coming off that bus for a long time, and yet he steps up with these individual performances – uh, that are just amazing, and I, I think it's too bad. I would have liked to have seen him at
3: Man City. Do you guys agree? The, the the purest in me wanted him to stay in Barca, just because I you know, as a sports fan, I love the idea of somebody playing for the same team their whole career because it so rarely happens in this day and age. So, um, I, I totally a lot hate. lot of
1: people don't remember this. Uh, Joe Namath, where was the last team he played for after the Rams?
3: The Rams. The Rams. Yeah. Weird, but you don't you don't see him that way. But no, but uh, so. And I totally hear what you're saying about Man City, because it would have been great to have him in the Premier League. Now, you know, the question is, moving forward, is he going to sign for a year or two years with Barca? What's Barca going to do in terms of supporting cast? Is it just kind of delaying the inevitable? So will it be toxic for two years? I just think, you know, with uh, Bartomeu... At the, as the president, that is just a thing that, unless that's resolved, you're probably going to have the same issue.
1: I, I have a feeling that he had some guarantees that were made to him. But also, uh, Sam, we talked about uh, before we got on air about uh, his quote, which is not very it's sort of prescient to sort of what's happening. He said something like, I, I could never take the club of my life to court. So apparently, he feels like he had that escape clause at the end of his contract, and this guy didn't. Didn't honor it, uh, yeah, so there's bad blood there. I, I I don't know how this can not be a problem with two years to go. Yeah, well, I feel like th- what the quote also
2: shows is how much Barca means to him. I mean, if we want yeah. to set that aside, versus how he feels about the president and the current board. Um, you know, there's a big movement now with fans getting together trying to force a no confidence vote. They have to gather something like, you know, sixteen thousand signatures or something from the the voting members of the team. Um, you know for the sorry the fan fan support team um, and so yeah I, I don't know i mean i i think barca is going to undergo a pretty big revolution you know this right. summer or summer i guess we're in the fall already but vidal's going to leave probably Suarez is going to leave
3: you know rakitic has left um and so they got here. Winyama they got Winyama
1: from liverpool
3: petinho is coming back i believe
1: yeah continues coming back as well back. Yeah. but but what but what i think you know is interesting is that messi feels bartomeo reneged on his release agreement after 219 220 so that's that that does not bode well for that president no. you know when,
3: when when i read the reporting when messi was talking about his family's reaction and his son being in tears and stuff and uprooting them from their schools and their friends that to me yeah. was the determining factor frankly i mean They're so embedded in that community. And, uh, you know, there's the soccer part of it, but there's also the life part of it. And I just think it was the reaction from his kids and from his wife was so overwhelming that that probably played a big part in
1: it. It makes sense. I mean, you even talk about, remember Peter Cech wanted to stay in London because of his kids and he'd been a, a loyal Chelsea fan and they did him a solid and did that to him but Messi is the type of guy it seems to me he has always sort of done the right thing not the not the what's personally best for him he's always done what's right for the club and his teammates barely complains doesn't flop you know um it's you know one of the reasons I just I just uh you know love the guy yeah I
2: will say I think in some ways it's a bigger challenge for him to stay at Barcelona right now than go to somewhere like Man City where he's joining maybe the best team in Europe with a coach he's already played for. Um, right. I think his comfort zone is
3: being tested more right now at home. So I could not agree more, Sam. I mean, he goes into Man City. He's joining a team that's got an incredible supporting cast and he can just be messy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just like one more really good amazing player that you add to the team whereas now yeah. he's going to have to shoulder the whole friggin' load yeah. because Unless they have a lot of good young players in the system that are suddenly going to get their chance, uh, it's going to be tough.
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, so Messi stays. So uh, no news is no news, I guess. And I was looking forward (laughs) to that whole Man City move, and then he was coming to MLS after that. Oh, my God, it would have been just perfect for American soccer fans. But it looks like it's not going to happen. The league's all start up. Um, I think France is already playing. There are a couple matches in. Spain starts up uh, September twelfth, as does England, Germany September eighth, and your uh, beloved Syria Ah Sam starts up on the nineteenth uh, September
2: eighteenth uh, for Germany, not okay. the eighth, but the eighth. Oh, a couple days ago, yeah. Oh
1: so. yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the one in front of the eight here that I'm reading off my piece of paper. So, <laughs> so Syria Ah, who's, uh, who's, uh, the odds on favor for that league? Uh, well, it's Juve
2: again, which is no surprise. Um, but looking at all these leagues getting started up, I, I was curious to take a look at what the odds were. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no surprise that Juve are the favorite at 1.9 to one followed by Inter 2.65 to one. Then Atalanta 13 to one Napoli, 15 to one Milan, 20 to one. Um, what's curious though, is that, I don't know if you guys know on the website, five thirty eight, the night, the Nate Silver sort of, yeah. you know, forecasting site. Um, they give percentages, you know, for likelihood for teams to win the championships in all these leagues. And in Serie A, the favorite is actually Inter with a 31% chance uh, versus 22% for Juve. So you can take that for what it's worth. I mean, I explain was explain that, Sam.
1: What, like, why would that be?
2: Well, he what I guess they are taking into account are the quality of the team. You know, they sort of simulate the whole season. I think. Uh, And, you know, another interesting one is that Barcelona are given a 45 percent chance of winning La Liga, uh, which is the highest percentage chance. Um, However, Real Madrid are the odds on favorite. So there are some discrepancies. Um, I was reading a book the other day that was funny. And the main character is sort of this old woman who complains that the the young people now believe anything as long as it has a percentage attached to it. So, um, you know, I, I think there is some truth in that um and right. that's maybe why these numbers differ slightly
1: so you got la liga you got Bundesliga, and you got
3: city city is the uh is the odds on favorite to take the epl which i think is no great it's surprise
1: no surprise right but like again i said in the opening it's uh yeah. it's uh, the it's, it's a tighter race it's, i do not believe anybody will take off uh with that spread that that liverpool had or the man city had the year before right so uh, yeah, so was, maybe uh, maybe we're wrong. You know? Curious
2: yeah. looking at the EPL. Man City are the big fair at one point eight to one. Then Liverpool three to one. Chelsea after that at ten to one, and then Man U at fifteen to one. The week yeah. before Havertz signed um, for Chelsea, they were at fifteen to one too. So that gave them a real boost.
1: Yeah,
3: Sam, did you just mention Chelsea?
1: Oh no, boy,
3: Grail <laughs> just woke up.
1: Grail just woke up. Well, they, they beat Boy, do Liverpool. I have
3: a lot of notes. Boy, do I have a lot of notes on Chelsea.
1: <laughs> they beat Liverpool, though, huh? Grail, uh, you got to be happy about
3: well, that. Yeah so, yeah, so they got, as Sam mentioned, they got Kai uh, Havert, Havertz, Havertz uh, from Bayer Leverkusen. So now they've got two of the best young German national team prospects on their team. You know, Timo, Timo Werner had already joined them. And they've also signed in the offseason Hakeem Zayek, Ben Chilwell and Thiago Silva, who anchored uh, PSG's defense. So, it'll. Be, I mean, look, it's 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 just a, uh, a, f- a feast of talent. The question is, how do they all fit in? Because you you also had all the players last season who got them into the top four. So you can't just basically right. discard everybody. So right. who gets the playing time? I was happy to see they gave Poliski number ten on uh, Chelsea which is a really big honor I mean I don't, I don't know did that,
1: a, did that surprise you guys
3: uh it seemed um, premature I mean, it, it seemed a little early but I, you know again I think you know Frank who's great with young players it was him kind of in a way um laying down the gauntlet and to Pulisic and saying hey I'm giving you the number 10 now show you deserve it because right. uh I mean, Eden Hazard was the last guy to, you know. I mean, and Willian obviously was wearing number ten. Willian's gone. Really, I think I. That's. Really I'd love
1: to watch that guy play, man.
3: I, I think two really good players, and uh, so it'll just be interesting. You know, any team that gets that amount of talent in the offseason, it's all a matter of how does it fit in.
1: You know, like with with Willian, what was interesting is, uh, you know, so many times players want that extra year, where most, if you sort of crunch the numbers, they're past their prime, they're not worth it, and they always try to get an extra year. I think Willian wanted a three-year contract, and I think he's, what, 32
3: years yeah, old? Yeah, you know, Frank it's Lampard like, wanted to give him the third year, and, you know, the powers man, that be wouldn't. said no, and I was like, God, you're spending money like a drunken sailor on everybody else. Yeah. Give the guy a third year. I think it was- There's a new guy, you know,
1: um, when I coached at Boston University, uh, one of the defenders, the central defender, was Mike Amanilo. Uh, who was on the Nigerian national team and then went on to be the player development person at Chelsea. And he's left. And I wonder, um, you know, if this is having an impact now, because are they going to loan out all the players that they used to at Chelsea? I mean, they used to be a little factory, you know, they pull players in and push them out and uh, try to make a profit. It was like a whole little business model they had going. Do you think Grail as a Chelsea fan, nut? Uh, Do you think this is a difference in Chelsea with Lampard coming in now and saying, no, uh, the team is here. And now we, we focus on this.
3: Yeah. um, I I just think he had a clear idea that he needed a a left back. He needed a center back. He's addressed those issues. And then if you can get guys like Timo Werner and, and Havertz, you know, those guys are available and they're 21 and 22 years old, you got, and you got the money you go out and get them because those are guys that you can have for the next five to seven years. I mean, that's like your foundation. So,
1: And if Havertz can play in a lot of different positions,
0: right?
3: Yeah, exactly. He can, he can play number eight, number 10, false nine. You can move mm. him around. You know, Polisic will be the guy on the left. He'll be the left. You'll have Werner in the middle. You have Polisic on the left and then you'll have um, Zayek on the right. I mean, that's a pretty man. And then you'll have Giroud. And Tammy Abraham that can come in and spell guys. So, again, it's all about, as you guys all know, it's all about depth. You can never have, like Man City, you can never have enough good subs.
1: Well, that's all the top teams have the depth. And I think it, you know, this is what we're like some of the, we talked about it last week, some of the clubs. Uh, you know, lower level clubs were concerned about the amount of subs you can have because you got all these great fresh players coming in. I think it's interesting with Polisic being given the number 10 and playing on the outside where the will follow that because he always tries to push him in and, uh, you know, with his system or whatever. And I just, I think, look, again, not to make it about me, but I would play a defender on a certain level. I'd go down a level to play like semi-pro in Boston in the summer And they think I was – they push me up to, like, center forward. And I'm like, you know, it's not what I do. You're playing at a position, basically. Um,
3: I I, I mean, I hope Berhalter plays him in the position he's excelling at – in at a big club. I mean, why would you possibly – if he's – again, he's surrounded by better players. But, again, I, I would put him on that left side so he's cutting in from the left. He's very dangerous coming off that side.
1: All right, so uh, I want to mention Everton because they seem to have opened up their wallets a little bit. You know, they picked up some players. Uh, this guy, Alan from Napoli. Talk about him a little bit, Sam. Good player? Because yeah, they, um, they also got Rodriguez from Real Madrid via Bayern. Um, but what's this, who's this guy along?
2: Yeah. I had an eye on Everton just because they've seemed to have brought in a bunch of big names. Like you're saying, um, they didn't seem to give them much of a boost in the odds factor, which was interesting. They're uh, the 10th favorite right now at 150 to one for uh, the title um, and are given only a 9% chance from 538 of getting in the top four. So this doesn't seem to have done too much to their you know, mm-hmm. predictions, but um Alan's an interesting one. He was a, a real top midfielder in Serie A about two years ago with Napoli, and it seemed like he was going to go to PSG. Um, and then that move kind of fell apart. There was some you know, squabbles with the ownership about that not coming to fruition. And he just never seemed the same player after that. Didn't seem like he was maybe as motivated or he lost a step. Um, but he's a really, really solid midfielder. And I think he'll be a good player in England because he's – sort of a more modern player. Um, He can play box to box. He can press high up the pitch. Um, He's physical, uh, very good technically. So I think he'll fit in pretty well there. And I I think it's a pretty good pickup. Um, And James Rodriguez too. I mean, another guy who's sort of got
3: something to prove. Yeah. I mean, Sam, he's just, he's another guy who went to Real Madrid and just basically atrophied like Gareth Bale. I feel like Certain players actually, they had 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 they gone in a different direction with their careers, yeah. they would have probably been better off. But they went after the big club and the big money, and of course, Hamas had had that amazing World Cup, right? Which was his coming out party. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's never lived up to the potential. Do you think? I don't. I think he missed out on that
2: sort of stepping stone club because yeah, he had such a good World Cup. I mean, and yeah. then going straight to Real Madrid. I mean, he's kind of unproven aside from the World Cup, and yeah.
1: I yeah I think for some that's just too big of a leap. And I but yeah. I also differ on the Bale thing. I think Bale played well when he got in. It's it seemed like we don't know the full story with with him because whether he just doesn't get along with Zidane is that it uh you know but is he, he was is he not well, a good Flint. teammate or what but I mean he scored that great goal in the Champions League, you know. Uh, yeah, he did, but
3: I'm just saying yeah. he's also been chronically injured and when he played for Spurs as a young player, he was an absolute difference maker. He was
1: he started at outside back, didn't he?
3: Well, he was most times the best player on the pitch towards the last year of his time with Spurs right. and of course that's what got him the big money at Real Madrid, but he, he he sat on the bench a lot too. He's got to get out of his comfort zone too because it seems like he he basically called their
1: bluff and said, "I won't play. You got to pay me and I'm yeah. going to go gol- and I'm going to go golfing every day." And he did. Uh so does it that diminish him as a player? Is he going to be as sharp as he's been? Uh, because it looks like he might be going to Manchester United, I think.
3: Which he just had a hard time staying on the pitch. He was chronically, you know, like we talk about with Polisic, That's our biggest fear of Polisic, is just the ability to stay on the pitch.
1: You know, and I know, Sam, this must just get you crazy, where it seems like most of the American public watches EPL, and they think that's the only league that sort of matters when there's there's so much great soccer on Syria, uh, Bundesliga. Um, but it always comes back to the EPL. And, uh, Grail, I thought it was interesting the um, – The Athletics, our friends over at The Athletic, uh, their top 60 players in EPL history. Run it down for us a little bit. Some of the names are
3: Yeah, I thought they did a great job. And, you know, over the last six to eight weeks, whatever it's been, everything is in a time warp with COVID. You know, they they wrote profiles on the top 60 players. And anyway, their top five were starting at number five, Cristiano Ronaldo. Number four, Ryan Giggs. Giggs Number three, Eric Cantona. The fiery Man United striker. Um, allez la, allez la number two, Alan Shearer, the goal-scoring machine from Newcastle and Blackburn, and then uh, Thierry Henry was number one. And I just thought it was so appropriate that a foreign player, you know, w- ended up being by the athletics measure the best player in, in uh, EPL history. Um, well, three out of the foreign, top three out of the top five are foreign. Yeah, well, players. because foreign players really put the, the EPL on on the map. Right. I mean, honestly, that's, that's what made the difference. And it was – Syria, as you know, Sam, up until that point, was the dominant league, and that's where all the best talent was going. And then when they launched the EPL in 92, they started getting a lot of the best foreign players, and it changed everything for the EPL.
1: And it's but, magic listen, but listen to this. The, magic watch to, to, some of those goals.
3: You know? So these stats, though, for Thierry Henry, uh, 258 EPL games, 175 goals and 74 assists. I mean, that's a pretty balanced (laughs) production, right?
2: Right. Were there any big omissions, Grail, that you were not happy about? It
3: was funny, Sam, because when when they were up in like the, I don't know, 15s, 20s, 25s, I mean, you could have argued anything, right? I I feel like when you're between 60 and 20 in terms of the top players, right, you Mm. could just debate anything. Yeah. I don't ha- I don't have an issue with this. I actually was a little surprised that Eric Cantona was number three, but then when I read the profile, it reminded me why he was number three because he he made Man United the team they were when he joined them from Leeds, I believe. I think he had a brief spell with Leeds, and then he ended up with. Uh, United and he totally changed their team. So I will just
2: mention back, you know, when I cared about the premier league, uh, I would say (laughs) um, Dennis Burkamp could probably be in the top five. I think Patrick, Patrick well, he's in the top.
3: I think, Pretty sure Sam he was in the top fifteen, maybe. Okay. Patrick yeah. Vieira
2: is another one. Yeah. Um, and yep. then
3: maybe Real Ferdinand would be. Yeah, the they're all I they're they're consider. all they're all probably in the top twenty
1: five. Oh yeah. man, some great highlights from all those guys. It's unbelievable. You know, it reminded me. And I don't know if when you were for Sports Illustrated Grail, if it was Sports Illustrated in conjunction with ESPN. But when they did the top like one hundred athletes in the world, and yeah. the, fir- the first five were like you know Larry Bird and like things like. When you're talking about the world, it showed you just how uh, myopic. myopic American focus is. Where Pele was number ten, and I said, when I looked at it, I go, "This is absurd." I said, "The only one who could be above Pele would yeah. be Muhammad Ali," yeah, uh, because the guy maybe transcended race, religion, uh, you know, sports, everything. He was huge, but um,
0: it no, is interesting,
1: think, you know. I, the, I think, go ahead. You no, know, I, know, I just think it's, it's interesting how you know the EPL. And to disagree with Sam, I think is the best most fun to watch the league. Um, but that the English sort of take credit for it, but the, none of the coaches are English and none of the top player were some of the top players. Uh, and they're not modern day players either. Are, Look, uh, it's, not it's, not it's, the top five.
3: The foreign players, just like the foreign players in the NHL have made the NHL an infinitely mm-hmm. better league. It's made the EPL infinitely better. And it's, and it's actually made the style of play better by association for England. Right. Because you know they're playing with other really good skilled players, and I think just through kind of osmosis, the England team is playing a much more international style right. than they used to, so it's been good for everybody. Yeah, the change has
1: come from with, uh, outside to, to yeah, in. so all right, let's let's talk domestically a little bit here. You mentioned Polisic already getting the number 10. Um, uh, we can talk about MLS a little bit. We're going to have Lexi on where, you know, he covers it for Fox, so we can cover it there as well. But, you know, a, a player that I really loved watching when he was on the national team, uh, then he became uh, the head coach. He was in Chicago for a while, now the head coach of the Red Bulls. He's been sacked, Chris Armis after two years. So what was interesting, guys, checking out the, the rundown on this, is how many coaches, head coaches, 15 head coaches since 1996. And, I mean, only two years ago. They won the supporter shield with, with 71 points. So um, just a rotating door there and a big market like New York, you, you know, uh, or Harrison, New Jersey, which I always look for Jimmy Hoffa's body when I head out there. Um, Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's a club that struggled.
3: Well, and Atlanta, I mean, both those teams two years ago were really dominant teams and now they're kind of rudderless yeah, but we know what happened
1: with Atlanta. You, you know, I mean, they right, lose but their coach. They lose that Latino flair in one fell swoop. And yeah. suddenly they're not as fun to watch. And they're, you know, they were the franchise to watch in MLS. Yeah,
3: but, you know, the Red Bulls and then former – and then before then the Metro Stars, you know, you go through this many coaches and you, and you just kind of reboot that many times. You're going to have no consistency at all. And uh, hopefully whoever they pick is the next uh, – person to head up um, the Red Bulls, they stick with them for a while. You know, how about three to five years would be nice.
1: Uh, MLS also launched MLS Next. Uh, Jeff Agus didn't talk about this last week, did he? But uh, this is good news for development, do you think?
3: It's the obvious outgrowth, right? We were kind of talking to Skip Gilbert from uh, U.S. Youth Soccer about this. And with the Development League folding and MLS saying they were going to get involved and try to... Really up the the youth game. It makes total sense. Um, it's uh, it, it's funny because it reminds me of ESPN Next. I don't even know if you remember that when they the magazine used to always have an issue that would profile the up and coming athletes, and that's what it reminded me of the whole Next thing. But uh, yeah, you're gonna you know you're gonna have 115 matches kicking off this weekend, but a bunch of the teams or clubs can't play because of COVID 19. So again. It's going to be an odd next six to nine months for that operation.
1: You used to have that thing in the back of Sports Illustrated where you, like, name a, a future, you know, great player, kid. And uh, Well, they had
3: faces I, in the crowd. Right, faces in the, the crowd.
1: The, that's what it was. Right. It was and I wonder
3: – It was at the front of the magazine, Flinney, but that's okay.
1: Well, I would always flip to the back. So uh, <laughs> to try to – I would flip to the back. Why? To try and find some soccer news. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> so I'm sure you were doing the battle in there to represent <laughs> – but, uh, but I wonder what are the uh, the odds uh, percentage of kids who actually made it to the pros from faces in the crowd Do you ever do a follow up on that something like Well, that? there's yeah no,
3: they're famous ones that were, you know like I think Don Mattingly was one of them. and yeah, I mean there have been a handful of ones that were profiled that went on to do amazing things.
1: Well, but you know, part of my point is like sometimes when you get early success, it undermines your sort of drive. I remember talking to uh, we talked to Mike Wattola at soccer America about, a lot of the players that play on the under 17s and the under 20s don't make it to the full national team squad, even though they're getting the best coaching. They're getting, they traveling, they're playing 24/7 uh, at a sort of professional level. Early, you still get guys coming out of college and stuff that take them over and and uh, and play on the the full national squad.
3: Yeah, well,
1: so, uh, it's good. So, speaking of national team and the National Hall of Fame, Carlos Bocanegra was elected. Uh, into the Hall of Fame, but the big news—it seems like what everybody's talking about—because Boakenegger should be in there—is yeah. um, Hope Solo. Hope Solo uh, was uh, basically did not meet the the her the, hopes the thresholds. Her
3: hopes yeah. were dashed. <laughs> mm. says, you Sam, know do you, Sam, did you, you see
1: that one coming? Some just yeah, like you I, know. I just avoided so
3: predictable. Uh, You, you know, went
1: solo on that one. You,
3: no, you no, know, you look. You look at the stats. She had a she had 202 U.S. Women's National Team caps. She has two gold medals. She's won a world cup. She's obviously getting in, but you know how I feel about hope solo for in terms of some of her on the field and off field antics. And I, and I think this was the hall of fame board advisory board, whoever, you know, picks the the players that go in, just basically saying not so fast. I mean, she's going to get in, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had issues with her.
1: I think everybody has. I think I think law enforcement has had issues with it. So, <laughs> uh, so, but uh, uh, our friend Bo Doer over at Soccer America wrote an article about maybe we should uh, reevaluate what's happening. You know who votes and and gets to vote. But I'm all for that because for me it reminded me a little bit of like a Pete Rose thing. Yeah, he's an amazing player. Should easily walk into the Hall of Fame. He but, should be in though. Yeah. Right. But I you know look and that's a point of argument. But he gambled and and got caught. And so I I think some of what. Uh, you know, he didn't gamble on his own team, but I think some of what Hope Solo did
3: did not. Well, she had, an ass- she, had an ass- very- she had an assault too. Uh, didn't she assault her sister or sister in law? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. I think her but sister a- and her brother. I- I the case was still pending, and it was just bad. And then she had just that terrible sportsmanship. I think it was against Sweden, maybe in the Olympics, where she called them out after they beat the U.S.
1: Yeah, and, and it then was just- also. And yeah. also the co- she had a, a, a US. soccer van that she let her husband drive. He was, uh, he was uh, drunk, DWI, he got. yeah. And then she yelled at the cops. So I think you know, I, that you, this behavior does factor in. Yes, yeah. she will get in. She's a great player best goalkeeper uh, that they've had, the, you know, U.S. women's national team. But, uh, hey, you know, this is part of the the whole package. All right, uh, guys, we've been rambling and babbling on here. Uh, I know we got the the Nations League. I've not watched uh, much of it. But, Sam, I know you checked out a game or two. Talk about that quickly before we break for Lexi.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, some decent games. I watched the two Italy games. Uh, they played against Bosnia, and they drew, and they beat Holland, which was a better game. Um, I Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little – miffed at why these games are happening right now i mean no one even knows yeah. what this competition is and they're trying to jam even it up. when guys are trying to get healthy again for the new season and it seems kind of crazy to me um that said i think the biggest story is ronaldo scored two goals against sweden in a game which gives him now 101 career international goals which is second only to um ali day of iran uh, who's at 109 uh and ronaldo has spoken you know rather openly about how he wants to break that record, and of course uh, he does. I think he, he probably will. will. So Of course not, he will. Yeah. Not slowing down at
1: 35 years of age. And uh, good for him. So, uh, well, we'll get to Alexi. You know, it's interesting, um, because Weston McKinney is going to Juventus, Sam, so you got to be psyched mm-hmm. about that. Uh, Alexi, I was trying to think of this, fellas. Is he the first American to go to Syria? Ah, Sam, if you don't know, Grail and I don't. Uh, So
2: there is some debate about this. He's considered the first like true American to play in Serie A, but there were a couple guys back in like the forties that were basically Italian, um, born in the United States and then moved back to Italy when they were very young. So, you know, maybe
1: technicality, technicality. So, all right. So, well, you know, we'll talk to Alexi. I'm sure he knows, I'm sure he was made aware of that by the, by the Italian press when he was over there. I, I really, I, I, you know, I said this last time we had Lexi on the show. I remember when he played in the, ML, uh, the World All-Star game with all the World All-Stars. And they kept yelling. He was the only American on the pitch, and they just kept calling him, Gigante Rojo. Oh, yeah. Gigante. I love that. Gigante Rojo. So, all right. So we're going to take a break here on OTB. When we come back, we talk to uh, former U.S. men's national team great Lexi Lalas. You're listening to OTB. Over the Ball was brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join. And sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month, or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and over the ball, a friend of the podcast here, uh, former U.S. Men's National Team, great. Uh, he's at Fox and also has got a great podcast called State of the Union, Mr. Alexi Lalas. Lex, what's happening? How are you?
0: Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, good morning, everybody out there. We're muddling through 2020 <laughs> as best hey. as we all can. The hits just <laughs> oh keep my on coming, I, huh? can't,
1: I can't wait till this one's in the rearview mirror. I'm telling you, but uh, <laughs> we've got some. We've got the EPL starting up. We're in the middle of uh, MLS, uh, which has been, uh, which has been. We have the uh, your teammate back there, Jeff Vegas, yep. he said he had to yell at you to get goal side. And I said, you're always up there trying to get a hat <laughs> on the ball. But um, it was great to talk to him. But was thinking about you this week, uh, Weston McKinney is going to, to Italy. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, you got plopped in there. We were talking about it before you you came on. Were you the first true American that went to Syria?
0: In the, I mean, there's there's some debate in terms of the, the modern era. You'd have to go back a real long time. But certainly in, in the way that we think of modern-day American soccer, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I hope I didn't do anything to leave such a scorched earth type <laughs> of a <type> – <laughs> uh.
3: No, man.
1: I think you represented well because, I mean, you can speak a few languages. You went over there. You learned a language. Yep. You immersed yourself in the culture. And I think one of the problems that players have is they think that they can just go there and, you know – just speak Spanish and not not be able to speak it, but you got to kind of immerse yourself in the culture. And, and then it's a big change. You know, we, we talk about Landon mm-hmm. struggled in Germany. I mean, it must've been very difficult for you. I mean, I think you're not going to blow smoke up your butt, but you're a little more worldly, I think. And you, you weren't sheltered, you know, you have parents that are learned and you knew the world. So you knew you were in for a big difference when you went there
0: yeah, I also had the advantage of coming off of a World Cup, and that's where you know I kind of made my my bones and 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 yeah. those opportunities opened up on and off the field because of the World Cup. Now now, look, Weston's going to a whole nother level of club, an elite super club, um, and it's going to be a you know a different experience from that perspective. People have been asking me over the last couple of weeks, what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, like he, he's a soccer player. He's going to go out. Say, they play the same game. You'll figure that out very, very quickly. There's some you know, differences in culture. But you, you mentioned the language. My advice to anybody would be learn the language as quickly as you possibly can. And look, you don't have to be perfect. They are wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful culture in that they are – They. You know they're very gracious, and there is gratitude if you're just trying. And look, just out of understanding what's going on, communication. I think it's a form of respect. I think it also, you know, gives you a little bit of the benefit of the doubt out there because it is a fishbowl that is uh, Syria. Even when you're playing for, you know, arguably the 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 great team in uh, in Italy. So I think he's going to become a better soccer player for it, but I also think he's going to become a better uh, person. And look. You know, Michael Bradley, Oguchi Onyewu, myself. Uh, there's some other guys that have gone to different levels uh, and and different uh, you know different uh, different teams out there. But for the most part, it's there's not a lot of American players that have played over in Italy. I, I I can't tell you why. I think it is there is a cultural type of thing. But I wish I wish more could because I think it's a really interesting league. Even now, it's gone through its its process. And back when I was playing, it was very different landscape of soccer back right. then. And you know, Syria was the place to be. And then the migration obviously happened to, uh, to England. But it's come back, and I think that there are some real qualities uh, and experiences both on and off the field that one can uh, get from having that
1: experience. I'm excited about his development as a player. I'm just wondering if he's ready for Juventus and how much time he's going to get. Uh, I think it helps the U.S. men's national team if he does get on the pitch and learns at that level and plays at that level. But we were talking before you got on about maybe he missed one step before he go to Juventus, so I, I, they, they've obviously recognized something. But I, I uh, think culturally, we hope he uh, adapts. But I'm, I'm hoping as a player, he gets some time. Do you think he'll get playing time?
0: look I mean it, this came out of nowhere let's be honest when when we were talking about what I mean uh, Juventus wasn't even on the radar everyone was talking about you know going to the EPL or maybe a different place or a higher level in uh, in the Bundesliga and, Southampton yeah. yeah I mean that's what we were talking about Hertha and, and that and that type of stuff and then all of a sudden Juventus comes on the radar and you're, you're taking that call you are getting on that plane and let's be honest you're signing whatever contract they put in they put in front of you because that's how big a step and how different a type of proposition uh, going to Juventus is for a guy like Weston McKinney coming from Schalke. At Schalke, he tried to do everything, and he was often asked to do everything. He played multiple positions. He kind of free-formed all over and actually did it very, very well and shouldered a lot of the responsibility. I think that he's going to go to Juventus, and I do think there is an opportunity to play because I think that he's going to be asked just to do one thing. Go win the ball and then give it to the nearest Juventus player you can find. Right. Okay, And let right. them do what they can do and the magic that they can do. And you do what you do, which is win the ball back. And obviously, when set pieces come, you, 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 know, you, you get in the box and, you, and you're dangerous. But I'm excited to see him just get one specific job. See yeah. if he can be the best at that. And by the way, world class possibly at that. And, and, and when, I, mm-hmm. when I say give the ball to others that do other things, that doesn't mean that he's better or worse than them. As a matter of fact, right. they can't do what he can possibly do. But it's right. it's, it's it's at a place like Juventus, you're not going to be asked to do everything. You're not going to play a, billion, um, a bunch of different positions.
1: Yeah, I felt that in Germany. I thought he was asked to do too much, and sort of got a little. And on the national team, I think what he played, he tried to do a little too yep. much. I, I thought so. Grail, you had a question for
3: Alex? Yeah, Alexi, great having you. And apologies for the uh, confusing hand signals there. Um, I'm speaking of Juve. Uh, I'm just curious about your thoughts regarding uh, Pirlo mm-hmm. getting the head job. I mean, obviously, uh, in terms of central casting, you could not have a better looking person come on board as as the head guy. But I'm just curious with the lack of experience, you know, what your concerns would be.
0: Better I looking? Mean, I don't know yeah, I what, mean, what the hell is I that, l- man.
3: Look. Uh, you, nice hair.
0: Like, Yeah, I know. God, he's gorgeous. You see him on the <laughs> side. I just want him, you know, with that. Uh,
3: yeah, I know.
1: Uh, Grail yeah. wants to run his fingers through his hair. Uh, <laughs> I,
0: I know. He should be sitting there with, you know, a, a cigarette and a, and a glass of red yeah. wine, just kind of, uh, you know, surveying the situation. Look, I mean, you know, Grail, uh, this is the, this is a, it's not a fad, uh, but it is a phenomenon that happens, not just in soccer, by the way, sports. We've seen what happened with Steve Nash recently, yeah. uh, right. you know, uh, Frank Lampard. and having a great career does not necessarily mean that you will be a great coach, uh, but you are hedging your bets at times. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the the messenger part of having a big name, um, high profile type of X yeah. player. Uh, there's a connection to the past. There's a recognition of success and you're hedging your bets thinking that that success and that leadership uh, and the consistency that one had as a player is going to translate into being able to, Lead off the field. Now we all know that actually explaining it to somebody is very different than actually doing it. Some mm-hmm. like Zinedine Zidane don't miss a beat and just continue on, or even a a pep, and others it's much more it's much more difficult. Look, the jury's out. Did they skip the line? I, I've heard a lot of that, you know, over this past week about uh, you know when it, when it came to Steve Nash and stuff like that. Well you don't know who's going to be you don't know who's going to be good and everything right. in life people have advantages and disadvantages you use the opportunities that you were afforded and those ta- those advantages that you have uh to to to, to set yourself apart and the, bo- the door will open for a lot of these uh ex-players that have big names but it won't stay open for long and ultimately it's janet jackson what have you done for me lately all right And if you right. don't get those results uh especially at a, at a place like juventus You'll be given a little longer leash because of that name, but that only lasts you you so long. So while Weston McKinney is adjusting and learning in a new country and culture and league and team, uh, his coach is going to be doing it at the same time. I don't know if that's a recipe for disaster, or maybe they kind of come up in in the same way and they look at each other and say, I'm learning, you're learning, there's things that I know, okay, that I can impart upon you. And there's other right. things that maybe I'm going to learn as we go, go on. And you may be in a strange way, Weston McKinney, things that you do will make me a better coach.
1: Yeah, the problem is, Lexi, some of these great players have, are not uh, as humble as maybe that that would be like, hey, I'm just learning on the job. They just had a, you know. And a lot of great players weren't great coaches. Jordan, Bird, you know, all these guys we're talking about basketball because we're talking about Nash. It seems like, and this is my question to Lex, the game has changed and it seems like coaches don't have as much – Control over the players. The players with their contracts, their big numbers, their all their own personalities, and these old Sam Allardyce kind of X's and O guys. Even Mourinho sort of is, seems outdated. Where someone like Lampard comes in, he's younger or dynamic. The, uh telegenic speaks well. Maybe he's not as handsome as Grail thinks Perlow is, but <laughs> he, he, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats in the modern right. game. It's not just about crunching, you know, the X's and O's. What, what do you think about yeah. that? I think it's just a change.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's also a structural change in terms of the, you know, the org chart, if you will, of soccer uh, and and of clubs out there. And so when when you have technical directors and directors of soccer and and people behind the scenes, like you say, are making a lot of these decisions. You know, it would not surprise me in the least if Pirlo has no idea who Weston McKinney is. And this was done. This (laughs) this was done behind the scenes by people who are, you know, stocking that refrigerator and then saying, okay, now, Pierlo, you go figure out what to make with what we have given you. And by the way, we we've, we've, we went shopping at some expensive places and we bought some very expensive type of ingredients for you to go cook up, uh, uh, cook up something. But you know, to your point about you know how important um, the, the the background is. Yes, it is important in terms of that cachet, and you do loom large with that with that name. And that only gets you so far. I, look, I've, you guys have been around a long time. We've all been around a long time. I've met people in in soccer. Okay that have had spectacular careers and they have no clue what they're talking about when it comes to right. talking about the game, explaining the game, whether it's in broadcast or whether it's in coaching. I've also met people that have never even kicked the ball, even remotely close to the level of a professional that are incredibly intuitive and, and incredibly in, in, intelligent and articulate about the way that they look at the game and explain the game, <clears throat> whether it's a coaching uh, situation or a broadcast situation. And, and so it, like I said, you're hedging your bets and you're hoping that it works out. And by the way, if it works out, it's it's golden because you have right. this this physical representation of a gloried past and a success that then manifests itself in a new generation. And it it it's wonderful when it works out, but it doesn't always work out. And sometimes not only does it not work out, it flames out spectacularly. Right.
1: Well, I tell you, I did not think Zidane was going to make it. And he did not, like you said, did not skip a beat. I think that's the type of player where he does so many things naturally he looks at another player it's like it's easy why can't you just what, what, what? you know like you can't understand why you can't execute what he does so easily so but you know he's come along as a great coach hey, hey, but hey.
0: but to to be to be fair too um it's not like he you know he was put into a, a, a oh, right, right, right. A 20 yeah. year old fiance or something like <laughs> yeah, that okay. exactly. Yeah. so there's a lot of coaches that are, were ex players that would have said yeah. yeah i would love my first one out of the shoot to be managing real madrid because you got a lot to work with uh, right there you know put him to, mid to lower level table uh, type of, of team, and that's where we see what the what, what the real coaches. And I'm not I'm not saying and I'm not uh, I, I agree. I agree. The ability yeah. to the ability to manage manage egos and big stars is very you know that's a that's a that's a skill. And sometimes I think Zidane one of his greatest skills is just stepping back and and recognizing right. that either individually or collectively this is a group of one of the great uh, collections of players in the world that sometimes they can figure it out themselves. And that's, that's counterintuitive sometimes to, you know, uh, alpha dog type of, uh, yeah. of, of, of successful people out there. They kind of want to do something when things aren't going right, or when things are, are going astray and sometimes just taking a step back and, and letting people figure it out for themselves. Yeah. The letting players,
1: yeah. Let players be players. I think in, uh sort it out and play into their role. Uh, Sam, you had a question? Yeah, Alexi, following the Italian media
2: uh, since the McKenney move, um, I can confirm that you are considered the first authentic Yankee to play in Serie <laughs> A and uh, that you Antic left wow. a, you know, a pretty good cult impression, let's say. Um, and uh, yeah, my question is, in reading this article, it talked about how you, you know off the field, sometimes it was a little grating, how mm-hmm. seriously everybody took everything in Italy, how things were analyzed you know, to death, Um, So I'm just curious if you could describe what that's like and how, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but I know in Italy, you know, people love to discuss a a coaching decision, a formation change, you know, for forever. So what what that might be like.
0: I mean, look, there's, there's two things that happen on Sunday in Italy, going to church and soccer. Right. Right. So, and you know, when we talk about the religion, yeah, it, it, it is. And, and keep in mind, I had never, been on the books of a club. My, like, guys like myself and Kobe, when we stepped on the field in the summer of 94 for the World Cup, we had never been on the books of, of clubs because that was just the way it was. We did it very, very backwards. But So this was my first experience ever with a club. And you, you land in Italy. And I grew up in a culture where soccer wasn't king. And you land and immediately you're asked to perform in that fishbowl and everywhere you went to the store, to the school, to the training, to the games, obviously in airports, everywhere you went, there was an understanding and much more depth of understanding from uh, the population, let's be honest, of what was going on with you, with your team, with the league, on the field, off the field, stuff that was going, aye all aye of that aye. kind of stuff. So you gotta, you you have to adjust to that. And look, I'm not saying that the Bundesliga, that, you know, there isn't uh, attention, but I think it's a whole different and another type of level when it comes to Serie, a, especially when you're playing for Juventus, mm. which is great because you have great players around you. But there's also that pressure. You know, it's kind of like PSG, where <laughs> if Juventus wins the w- wins the Scudetto next year. Uh, or next season, it, it's expected. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, for them, really, now, it's about Champions League.
3: Yeah, Alex, just getting back to the, uh, Kevin's point about the game changing, um, data. Yeah. That word, that dreaded word data, which has infiltrated every single sport in the world. I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, in baseball, it makes a lot of sense to me because it's so much about percentages and advancing the runner and stuff. In soccer, since we all love the game because it's so much about it being intuitive and doing things in real time while you're on the pitch, do you get concerned that data may at some point take away some of the creativity that we love about the game and, and it almost paralyze people?
0: Uh, I don't get concerned because I, I I I respect and I actually love the fact that people are trying to figure out. The or crack the code, if you will, of of the game uh, and and our game, and it will never be cracked. Uh, It will you will once again you know we talk about hedging your bets with that data you can make a more informed decision. I I remember you know back in the day when I was playing, I used to have rookies chart my touches. Now it's all done electronically, but I I would have them chart my my touches because I knew as a center back if I was if I was losing a ball on an unforced type of error situation more than once a half then there was something wrong because most of my passes yeah. were going to be secure and, and safe type and low risk type of passes and then every once in a while you try to thread the needle here or there but if i was losing it more than one or two times that would be a problem so my pass completion would always as a center back is always going to be high so you know when i look at what's going on right now um I, I, I have no problem with numbers, uh, but but I remember also when I was working in the front offices we, we were starting to get into analytics and numbers and I remember calling in some of the people that we had working for us and saying it 's all fine and well that, to scream and yell about numbers, but at some point i 'm going to have to turn to you, and you are going to have to give me your opinion as to whether to sign this player, whether to start this player, whether this you know this player needs to do this or that based on those numbers and then the chips fall where they may and, and, but, but it's only going to be part of my decision. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Um, But you know, we live in a game, I think more so than any other game where it's unpredictable and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out and crack that code, I think can drive you, can drive you crazy because it's, I'm not, I'm not fatalistic about it. um, But some of the things that I see attributed to tactics or numbers are sometimes just the soccer yeah. gods and hitting off of yeah. somebody's knee. It's not because you trained that. It's not because this player was better was better or worse. And and like I said, so the, what separates teams sometimes are so small, and yet we look at possession. Okay, mm-hmm. which we know more so than any other game. You all you need is one possession, score mm-hmm. a goal, right. and you can win the game. That's and the that's, game. That's yeah. crazy. if you try to apply that to any other sport, it it, it just it wouldn't work, really. It's, it's yeah. one of the
1: reasons I liked soccer was that it didn't have all the uh, ERAs and RBIs and you know all the stuff like that baseball, the minutiae that they'd go into. Then I heard they sat Suarez once because he was in the red zone too often, and they were concerned about his hamstrings. I'm like, wow, how did you come up with that one? Because you know, they're tracking him and, and how much he's run or whatever. So, uh, But like you said, Lex, um, at the end of the day, this game is there's too many variables, and we've all – dominated look at possession, even possessions like everybody was worried about possession with Tiki taka soccer. Now it's like a lot of times a possession team that gets counted on and they and lost so there goes your there goes your possession uh stat. So and so you're kind of talking about money ball too. So it's sure. uh it's part of the deal. So um anybody else what do you got for like, I want to yeah, talk about yeah, MLS just, so with these guys. Yeah,
3: I got I got one quick one for Alexi. Sure. Uh Bayern had tremendous success playing the high line. Mm -hmm. And and as you know, as a defender, that is not easy to pull (laughs) off. I'm just curious, you know, just your thoughts about the high line and whether or not that's going to breed more teams playing the high line.
0: I think it's it requires a brutal level of honesty uh, within a team in that so. I can appreciate it from a from a center back perspective that the higher pressure we put up on the field, uh, the better places we are winning the ball, if we win the right. ball. However, I can also recognize from a risk assessment perspective <laughs> that if yeah. and when they break pressure, and eventually you're going to come up to somebody who's going to break pressure, okay? Mm-hmm. You are going to be put at a disadvantage because the normal and traditional way of of defending and the security – uh, methods that we have put in place over the years, with defending in multiple, uh, either spacing or just in numbers. Security
1: measures. Work. That's a defender talking. It right is, there.
0: But, but the reality <laughs> is, is I want once I, I want to be comfortable knowing that the people up there, because they're doing that work and they're going to win the ball. It's going to give us a better chance of winning, and I will be I will be willing willing in the back to be one on one, even a tall, slow guy like me, one on one with space behind me, which is the worst possible moment of any center back. If you're if you if you're like me, uh, I'll be willing to do that and do that work with the understanding that this is going to uh, going to make us uh, make us better. But it's the, I mean the coordination. Has Mm. got to be there. And that's where training and understanding and and ultimately buy-in. So that's why I say it's brutally honest. You got to get together in a room, even before you even kick a ball or walk around and say, this is what we're going to do. Either you're with us or you you can't be just half in or half-ass a a, a pressing type of situation because all it takes is one person late or one person even thinking late and you got
3: problems. And you so, got to have a keeper like Neuer who yep. can play out and be very comfortable in that kind of a sweeper keeper role, right?
0: Yep. And I, I think
3: they've, you
0: know, I, I am a, a little bit of a of a um, a cautionary type of generation where that's the way we approach the game. And I think that right. as the game has changed, both individual players and teams have been given much more confidence by uh, by coaches, and the philosophy has changed that that risk that normally back in my day, you would say, Oh my God, no way. We're never going to do that. Why yeah, would I take why it? Why would I play a five yard pass out of my, out of my, uh, my box, box and invite pressure and and invite the possibility of losing that now it's, it, it's not the norm, but it's becoming much more accepted. And that, that, that inherent risk is, is much more accepted going forward. I I, I actually like it. I would have loved to have played where, i wasn't so worried about losing the ball in dangerous areas
1: well you were a hockey player too I mean you, you know you're in dangerous areas with the puck all the time as well it's just with soccer you are taught from a very early age, especially as a defender don't take risks sure. don't take risks just play the, the ball out but i think but, but, but goal, when
3: you but when
0: you're talking about hockey, I mean there was there, there, you know there is certainly there was and there still is a a way of thinking about the game where you dump the puck in, right?
3: Mm-hmm. As opposed to carrying
0: them. the puck, as opposed to carrying the puck across the line, which you know where you could lose it and, it and it doesn't create things. So philosophies change, and what was risky ten or twenty years ago might not be looked at risky, or what was pretty, just in terms of the general style of the game a couple decades ago, uh, may have changed. And it actually has changed when you look at the way teams play out of the back now, and this commitment to playing out of the back. Right. Everybody's doing it then it's all relative, right? So if everybody is, is, is assuming those same risks, then it's really not that much more risky.
1: Well, so let's talk about that a little bit because Burhalter's trying to get guys to play out of the back. Sure. And like you said, you've got to have a steady hand. You've got to fail. You pay the price when you fail, but to do it consistently, to not get so flustered, um, is difficult. Uh, we're hoping against hope here uh, that they can make that transition. How are you feeling about the national team and the system?
0: Yeah. I mean, so, well, first off, uh, Greg Berhalter, uh, you know, he takes criticism for his, you know, his approach, his, his philosophy, um, his, what people believe is a lack of experience all of those different things Greg Berhalter is going to go through an experience and already is going through an experience uh, unique and unlike anybody else that has ever coached the men's national team has gone through yeah. with with 2020 and with the difficulties even in normal times the biggest problem and challenge for a, a national team coach is the lack of time with your team and it's going to be even more so now so much so that the next time that we see this team it, it you know it could be it could be the first World Cup qualifier, so, right, right. so friendlies and preparation—that that, kind of goes out the door in terms of in in person. Now, what Greg Berhalter has done, um, I have to I have to respect it uh, because um, he's a true believer. He wants mm-hmm. to do something fundamentally different than has been done in the past. He doesn't—he's not content with just being a the best version of ourselves or a better version of what we have already been. The question is do we have the players to do this? And therefore, if we don't, are you just banging your head against the wall? And would we be better suited, like I said, just being a better version, becoming a little bit more pragmatic, recognize that, recognizing that being that counter-attack type of team, a team that absorbs pressure um, and, and then counters and, and does you know, what we have done for many, many years and is difficult, right. to, difficult to play against, defends hard, uh, is good in the air, set pieces, all that kind of stuff. Just, just be that best version of ourselves as opposed to being something different. He said, no, I want to be something different. And I, 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 Whether I agree or not, I want people with a plan, and he has got sure. a plan. Even if I think the plan is flawed. And I don't necessarily, but even in general, if I see somebody that's got a flawed plan, I would rather have somebody with a flawed plan than no plan at all. We wing it so much in this sport. And we have for, for a long time. And- that only gets you so far. So I, I respect and I love the fact that at least we have a coach that can articulate and says, this is what we're going to do. You may agree or disagree, but everybody's pretty clear as to what is going to what is going to go on on the field. But ultimately, he's going to be judged on, well, first off, getting us to the World Cup. Got to qualify, time, yeah. yeah. And then doing well in the World Cup, just like every single other coach. If he does it, and he does it in a way that we have never seen, and to a lot of people, they associate that with evolution and progress, then, I mean, he can go down as one of the greats.
1: You know, it's interesting when you were on the team, I knew all the players, I knew the roles, guys, you know, coming in off the bat be- knew everybody. Now I sort of need a playbill to just figure out, you know, a program to figure out the players, a lot of young guys coming in and out. And now we've missed this whole chunk of time where we don't get to watch them play, don't get to watch them develop. I remember like, you know, you're playing and all of a sudden, you know, Michael Bradley explodes on the scene and, and sure. he's a player and he's on the 11 squad, you know, so, um, I think we're in for a lot of surprises this time. We have a lot of young guys that have gotten experience overseas. We hope they gel. The one thing I would say about your teams that you played on was you would play that sort of tough defense counter when you could, but you would also make adjustments. But it was adjustments within guys you all knew how to play with each other and what was being asked. And I don't know if these guys know each other as no, well. No, like, no, no. You know, it's, and it's the hard part.
0: And I think what you're seeing is, you know, again, the, the, the failure of qualifying for 2018, it just, it cascaded and it continues to inform yeah. a lot of the stuff that happens. And, and to your point, you know, a lot of times, you know, people were introduced to us, the masses were introduced to that 94 team because of the World Cup in 1994. Right. And, and the same goes for, you know, following World Cups, both good and bad, but at least there was a knowledge you know, at the, at the highest level, and people came into that soccer tent every four years and understood it. And when you don't have that platform and that missed opportunity to do that, I think that's what you have. But let's be honest, um, in terms of perception right now, when we take the field again as a national team, for the men's national team, we potentially are going to have players coming from, uh, we just talked about Juventus, uh, Chelsea, Manchester City, uh, Dortmund, RB Leipzig, uh, and then obviously all the MLS players. So that you know, type of cachet that comes with those names, whether they're good or not, just having that type of uh, connection and affiliation with what we perceive as the greats and in many cases are the great teams in the world I think that says a lot. I'm, I remain very bullish about this generation, even though yeah. the, 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 the greater United States hasn't necessarily been introduced to them all on a formal type of basis. I think if, when you get back to a World Cup, they will. And I think that they will do things. And I think they see an opportunity now, at least I would, if I was in their position, and I think they do, they see an opportunity to, to rectify things and to right a previous wrong and not let right. it happen on their watch.
1: I think we took it all for granted for a little while too as a fan base. But I remember when you went to Italy, when you went overseas. I was very excited about that because you came out of Rutgers, you didn't have the pro experience, and you went right to Italy, where like every guy that I've gone up against an Italian defender, it's like an art form. You know, they they've got the angles down. They know exactly they're playing it, and then they'll they'll kick the crap out of you too when they when they yeah. want to. So it's sort of like I go, Lexi's going to come back, and and have a higher game, and it was like like. I was hoping you were going to play like Maldini, you know? Ah, I he, wish. He gave, me, he gave me your best shot. So,
0: Just Maldini's <laughs> right foot, I would take. Oh, my
1: god! I know, I know. And, and uh, I wonder how handsome Grail thought he was. Uh, uh, really. Very, very. <laughs> so, so,
3: Alexi, in, yes. in terms of Pulisic, uh, it seems that uh, the, left, the left side uh, that he's playing for Chelsea is the spot. He's very dangerous cutting in from the left. So, if you're Berhalter, do you basically – Take that and, and and try to just recreate that with the U.S. men's national team, or do you try to fit Pulisic into your system?
0: I think you put him where he's where you where he is most comfortable. I, I okay. think specific to somebody like Christian Pulisic, um, I, I think that I, I think you I think you risk. Not damaging him, but not getting the best out of him when you start asking him to do other things. Um, it's not that he can't fake it, uh, mm-hmm. and and look, I, there might be a tendency because you also have Jordan Morris, who's very very good on that left side. So maybe there's a tendency to say, all right, let's put cr- Christian more central, and he can certainly do that against lower teams. I just think that in space, and look, we've seen it with with Chelsea, and and I'm not going on wood here. You know, as it as it starts again this week, that he stays healthy because if he doesn't. The sky's the limit. He can, do, he can do whatever he wants. And he's proven uh, his value to that team. We gave him the number 10, all, all that kind of stuff. As long as he stays healthy, uh, that's just a marvelous player. And I want to put him in – You know, Jurgen Klinsmann used to talk about uh, challenging players out of their comfort zone. And there is a, a time and place to do that, but I think there's also a time and place to put people in their comfort zone where they are most comfortable and where they are most – uh, apt to give you the best version of themselves.
1: Especially when you don't have a season to play yourself into a position. Yep. Exactly. And limited time. Yep. Yeah. You guys show up in a, in a, you know, in a hostile environment and you're suddenly, you know, so there's a lot to do. So like, let's talk about MLS and and your coverage on Fox. Um, but one of the teammates, I think you played with Chris Armas, um, uh, got got let go at at Red Bull. We were looking at this, how many, 15 head coaches, at Red Bull since, um, what, 1996, when Stars and then Red Bulls. Sure. You had a little stint there, didn't you?
0: I did, yeah. yeah. If there's a team out there, I've had a little stint somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> talk about, hey, talk about scorched earth, man. He's just, <laughs> you couldn't keep a job, Lawless.
1: Um, but so, uh, what, so what's going on with them? And I think, you know, here they they won the Supporters' Shield, what, two years ago with 71 points? And now, uh, you know, Atlanta and and Red Bulls, you know, just a quick fade. We know what happened in Atlanta, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's a manifestation uh, of of a changing philosophy. And when someone talks about philosophy and style of play and ethos and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, what the Red Bulls initially kind of promised when they came into the league and what they have ultimately delivered are, have been two different things. And at times that, you know, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that they aren't successful because we've seen the Red Bulls sign big name players and go that kind of route and achieve a certain level of success. And then they they very openly pivoted and really have concentrated on their youth development uh, and you know building from within and not necessarily signing the big names. I think the problem right now, and Chris Armas is the one that's going to take the hit for this, uh, whether it's his fault or not, is that not only were they not signing big names or or, or using money to sign people th- of any quality and re- and replace the talent that they that they let go, but that they didn't have anything in the pipeline when it came to the replacing uh, players from a developmental standpoint. And that's you know that's the perfect storm. You you can't you can't have that. So was it unfair to Chris Armas? Yeah, but life isn't fair and soccer isn't right. fair. And ultimately, you're going to be judged mm-hmm. by judged by the results. But what Chris Armis had to work with in 2020 relative to two, three years ago with what Jesse it's Marsh just, had to Jesse work with, yeah. it's, a very, it's a just a very, very different team. And so I think, I think the Red Bulls have to really sit down and have to come to Jesus moment, like, what are we going to be? Is it really that we are, we're not going – by the way, this is not for nothing. I know they're playing in New Jersey, but it's still a New York metropolitan area team. And there is an expectation. You can't be mm-hmm. a small market team or have a small market mentality in what you're doing. You've signed Thierry Henry Impact. You've signed Rafa Marquez in the past. You've signed other higher profile type of players. And with what's going on with the LAFC uh, and Atlanta United and, and different places that are out there spending money and, and lots of money uh, in certain instances, you kind of have to keep up with the Joneses. And if you're not, then you better damn well be sure that at that academy that you have, is producing that crop, next crop of players that have no problem making the transition to the full team and becoming assets that you have cultivated over the years through your superior su- facilities or superior co- coaching or whatever it ends up being.
1: You know, that's a good point because when uh, Red Bull took over, they did talk a big game, and now they're not even keeping up with uh, some of the others. Hey, uh, I'm a little bummed. want to get your thoughts quickly. we got to wrap here, but uh, Messi – yeah. I was hoping he went to Man City because I'd like to see him play every week. It seems it's harder to see the Barcelona games. And then I was really excited about maybe the three years at, and then two years maybe in MLS. I just thought, wow, that would be as impactful as a Beckham, I think, coming. Uh, were you a little upset over there? I bet the Fox uh, you know, powers that be were like, damn it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, you know, started having these these uh, these fever dreams of 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 what <laughs> what MLS would look like with uh, you know a 35 year old Messi and what he would be. I was I was excited from an MLS perspective first and foremost because I love to see players that have always played at the best team uh, and with the best players uh, and in these super club type of scenarios actually put into a league that. has manufactured parity and certainly relative parity compared to the rest of the rest of the world and how they how they fare when they're not surrounded by the best and Mm -hmm. when they might even be playing against teams that are better better than them so that that would that would have been interesting for me and who knows it might still happen in the in the future but look when I mean those comments that he came out with after this it was nuts what a nutty two weeks this was in terms of the just the whole you know saga that played out and then for him to say he 's staying but but just completely house Barcelona in his in his comments, but I thought his comments about his family that that for me that I think I would look to those because this is a guy who has been uh, birthed and incubated and fostered and nurtured and uh, um, grown within that cocoon that is Barcelona. It has given him everything. He knows nothing else. And by the way, his family, in a certain sense, have lived in that cocoon also. And and they will continue. All of them will continue to do so. And not for nothing, but Manchester City is a great club, but Manchester, relative <laughs> to what that cocoon has been, I'm not saying this is necessarily a power play, but this gives Barcelona a year to get things right. And so it would not surprise me in the least if over this next year, they get things right on the field, either by bringing in players or just doing things that make the team better, that makes them a whole lot more comfortable going on. And they get things right off the field, either by subtraction, new president, uh, new leadership, whatever it ends up uh, being, that makes him much more comfortable uh, going forward. But it, it was a, f- I mean, look, there's probably going to be books written about what just happened over the last couple of weeks. And if you were a fly on a lot of different walls there, uh, it would be amazing to see what was said and what wasn't said.
1: So, uh, all right, Alexi, we appreciate it so much for you joining us on OTP. And I'd um, love to talk to you. We could talk to you for another hour about stuff, but uh, you do great work on Fox, and, and uh, we'd love your podcast. So keep up the good work, representing us still overseas, back home, you're just still doing it. You're fighting uh, the good fight, We're having fight, a good brother, time. And, so and thank you guys it. for
0: everything for everything that you're doing. Uh, I, I love it. This is all, you know, this is uh, uh, la cosa nostra. This is all our thing, <laughs> warts and all. <laughs> Hey, remember to tweet us at OverTheBall, like us on Facebook and Instagram,
1: and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Uh, guys, I can have Lexi on every week. I love talking to Lexi. He's, uh, he is,
3: he's fantastic. I've got to yeah. tell you, just incredibly knowledgeable. And uh, by the way, a, not that I have a crush on Alexi too, but uh, <laughs> no, just a great voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic voice.
1: You know, I give him his props because uh, he's been a Pied Piper for this game. That group of guys in 94, sort of, you know, a guy like your age, Sam, that's what you saw, American soccer player. They represented us so well. They always gave a great effort. How difficult it must have been for him to go to Italy like that and all the things that he probably faced over there. But what I've loved about Lexi, it's what you want in a center back. He's just got – he's a big – confident like sort of a quiet confidence that he that he always had and um you know i scrimmaged with him a couple of times and, and ran into a few i mean he was like hitting a brick wall when you, when you ran into him yeah uh, but but here he's gone into coaching he's gone into the front office and he's he's really committed himself to this broadcasting thing so uh love having him on as a guest and i think he's still a pie piper for the game so he can
3: uh, see you know. it from all of the angles which is great you know player yeah. executive whatever he knows the game inside and out from every different level so it's Always all right,
1: great. So, so Sam, we all have lives. What do we, uh, what do we got before we wrap up here?
3: Yeah. So just a bit of domestic
2: news. We didn't get to at the top of the show. Um, Reggie Cannon, uh, FC Dallas mm-hmm. right back joined um, or former FC Dallas right back joined uh, Portuguese club Boa Vista uh, the mm-hmm. other day for $3 million about um, 22 years old, played for the U S national team 11 times um, and was of course at the center of the uh, recent, you know, racist backlash after kneeling and, raising a fist during the national anthem, uh, when the MLS got back underway. So, um,
1: well, good for him Another yeah, player going overseas is just what we were talking to Alexi about. So, yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, here's my little stats quiz. I got to think of a name for this, you know, maybe have a little intro, but, um, anyway, talking today about guys, uh, American players playing abroad. Um, Weston McKinney will be only the seventh American player to play in the Serie A, which is obviously not that many. We've had more success elsewhere. Um, That number represents 0.2% of all-time foreign players in Serie A. Uh, So I did a bit of research into this further, looking into the big four leagues in Europe and their respective histories of foreign players. So I have a little quiz for you guys with some percentages. Uh, And the question is, you know, I want you guys to tell me which nationalities make up the greatest percentage of foreign players per league historically.
3: Okay. Does that Are make we sense? going by league?
2: By league? We're, we're gonna go by league. So let's start with the EPL. And hey, wait, a this, how
1: how ba- how far back is historically?
2: So the, the history of the league. So that's why I'm doing percentage. So EPL okay. would be from '92 or whenever it started. La Liga is older. Uh Cedia is older. So I'm not doing numbers. I'm just
3: doing percentages.
2: So we'll start okay. with
3: EPL. I want non UK. Okay. So, the, so highest... the highest percentage, you mean, from a foreign country? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go.
1: Oh, man, oh, is... God, there's a lot of options there, man. It's just, um...
3: I'm going to go with Germany. Okay.
2: Kevin?
1: Yeah, I'd say Germany as well.
2: Okay, it's actually a tie between France and Ireland, who have represented 7.1% each of all-time foreign players uh, in the EPL. Uh, This season, France is the highest with 9.6% of the foreigners uh, and Brazil and Spain are at 7.2%.
1: You know, it's interesting because I I wouldn't have, I kind of counted, you know, God help me as an Irish Catholic kid, um, but I, I was sort of counting them as part of yeah, well, Scotland, is I Scotland, Scotland. I would think Scotland would be more. I Scotland is the
2: number one, but I said. Not. Oh, all right. I said right. non UK. Scotland. Um, uh So let's look okay. at La Liga now.
3: La, La Liga. La Liga. Okay, I'm gonna I'd say. say i Span. Sp- I'm gonna say Spanish. No. La, La Liga. Liga. Foreign Spanish. players. <laughs> oh.
1: oh my God! Put put oh, no, your no, guns, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I,
3: no, 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 no. I just I just inverted La Liga in Syria. Yeah. I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say Italy for La Liga.
1: Yeah, I would say Italy as Thailand. well.
3: Okay, uh, it's actually Argentina
2: with a pretty high eighteen point oh. five percent of foreign players. Holy
3: smokes!
2: Have been That's a Spanish. That's yeah. ridiculously high number followed by Brazil, who have represented 10.5%. Um, this season, I, France has the highest percentage at 11.6%, followed by Brazil, 11.1%, and Argentina at 9%.
1: Yeah, Brazil's on the um, up, giving, I would Bra- imagine. I'm giving, Remember,
2: it's, I'm not the percentage of, it's not the percentage of the entire league, but the percentage of foreign players yes. have played in right. the league. Okay, so now let's go to Serie A.
3: Um, I don't
1: want to say maybe some. Would you go to to Argentina again? No. Syria. um, I would. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Spain and Syria. Yeah, I'd say Spanish players with Syria. Okay, it's actually Brazil
2: with thirteen again. Uh, Gosh, Argentina behind them at eleven point nine, and then Uruguay at five point seven. So big South, South America, South America. Oh, there's
1: there's a language thing there, guys, right? So that's yeah, they're more comfortable, awesome. you know, going there. Uh, but I think I also think the Brazilian number is moving up. Rather rapidly, that's like really a case. I mean, it's very high. Probably, yeah. Like a Casey Kasem uh, song. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, so this season in Serie A, nine point five percent of foreign players are Brazilian, and seven point six are Argentine. So those are the top two. Uh, so let's look at the Bundesliga now. <laughs> now. Now I'm afraid to make a prediction.
1: Um, Bundesliga, I'd say uh, Dutch players. That's a good guess. I'd say um, I'd love to I'm
2: going to go oil.
3: with Brazil. <laughs>
2: You're right. It is Brazil. 16, yeah!
3: 55%. I finally drank the Kool-Aid, Brazil! Uh,
2: and number two is Denmark, actually, at 5.2%. Wow. Um, yeah. This season, Austria is the highest number at 11.3%. I
3: thought that was interesting. Who knew? I had no um, idea that we were, there were that many Austrian players, to be honest with you. So, German
2: that's, so that's Europe. Now, what about MLS? percentage? Highest percentage of I'm
1: going to say Mexico. I'd say Mexico or Costa Rica.
2: Okay, it's actually Argentina at 7.7%, followed by Canada at 7.2%. Is Mexico even in the the radar? Mexico is fifth on the list behind Brazil and Colombia at 4.9%. And this season, those numbers uh, still hold true. Canada is the most represented at (laughs) 11.1%. And Argentina is at nine point six.
1: Well, I tell you guys, I love these little quizzes, though I don't get any of the answers right. So They're... I feel
3: I feel so inadequate after Sam's quizzes. By the way, I feel, I feel like very a very dumb. I feel very stupid. Well, but you're right, Kyle, For
2: some of these older leagues, you know, yeah. the Brazilian influx could be more recent. It's
1: you know, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Right. I feel like I'm back in Catholic school. The only difference is I'm not getting hit over the head when I don't have the right answer. So this, <laughs> this is this is a a plus for me. This is a bonus. So, all right, guys. So uh, that's it. We're wrapped. Anything so yeah,
3: hey, th- this weekend Liverpool leads. Great, oh. great opening. Great opening match. Uh, for the uh, for the EPL, I think lots of you've history. Been a, you've been a big fan of Leeds for a long
1: time, haven't you? It's, well, Sam uh, has. Sam's history. got the Leeds
3: connection. I know. I don't. I I, I don't like Leeds because I'm a Chelsea supporter. But Sam has a personal connection. Oh, that's me. right.
1: That's right. I got you. Yeah. I got you guys mixed up. Yeah, I always do. You know, not neither of you have luxurious hair like Pirlo. So, um, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, that's all the time we have today, folks, on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guests, uh, our guest, singular, uh, Lexi Lalas. It's always great to talk to Lex and get caught up on all. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.